Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're finishing a series today called Scandalous that we started back on Easter Sunday. And uh, really the premise of this series is that Jesus lived a scandalous life. He died a scandalous death. Um, He had scandalous friends. And so we've kind of talked about that throughout this series. Uh, We had Michael Francis with us, and I don't need to tell you that he had a little bit of a scandalous life, um, did some scandalous things. Uh, We baptized a couple weeks ago, and those people all came out of things that were scandalous to some degree or another to be redeemed by Christ. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, uh, Pastor Kim did an incredible job, um, and I'm so grateful for her. If you missed that, go back and listen. But she did a great job. I might be biased, but objectively, it was a good message. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. And really, I want to piggyback off of what she talked about today, um, because what we're looking at is the fact that we as a church want to be a scandalous church. Uh, We want to be a church that, that we fit the textbook definition of scandalous in a lot of ways. Let me read that to you. Scandalous means causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. Synonyms of of scandalous are discreditable, disreputable, dishonorable, improper, unseemly, or disgraceful. Um, There's a story in John chapter 4, and Kim has preached about this this story before, and so I won't get into as much detail as she has. Uh, But in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are going to a city, and they stop by the Samaritan town. And they're outside of town. They stop at this well to get a drink. And his disciples go into town to get him some food. And uh, while he's sitting there at the well, this woman comes out to him. It's around lunchtime, around noon. She comes out by herself to gather water from the well. And Jesus engages her in a conversation. He says, hey, give me something to drink. And then she responds to him, because this is not normal behavior. And this is where we'll pick it up. In John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, Samaritans and Jews, um, there was a racial divide. They had similar heritages, but Jews regarded Samaritans as impure. and, uh, And so there was no relation between the two. There was... If we can say it this way, there was bigotry between the two. Um, People were probably raised in such a way that they were told, hey, the Jews hate us because of who we are. So we don't really care for them. You avoid Jews at all costs. And and Jews were probably raised in such a way that they were told, hey, those Samaritans, they hate us, so we avoid them. We don't don't mix and mingle with their, their kind. And Jewish people would actually go way out of the way to avoid Samaria, uh, Samaria and Samaritan villages and towns, even if it added hours or days to their journey because they wanted to avoid Samaritans that, that badly. And so this woman says to Jesus, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, so she identifies him and says, you're Jewish and I'm Samaritan, why are you talking to me? But she doesn't stop there. She also says, you are a man and I'm a woman. And so what she says is, you are you're overlooking these social norms. There's some things we need to talk through that, that, that you're breaking some, some rules here, buddy. Don't you know how we're supposed to act? Don't you know how things are supposed to be? You're not supposed to do any of this. And what Jesus did is he was breaking down a racial divide 
And he was breaking down a social divide as well. Because what Jesus said is essentially, I don't care that you're a woman and I don't care that you're Samaritan. Um, I see hurt in you that I want to heal. And I love this. Because Jesus wasn't intimidated by the fact that she was a woman. He wasn't intimidated by the fact that she was of a different race or culture. He was willing to engage her where she was because he knew there was a purpose for her and for this conversation. He goes on to have this conversation with her because she's drawing water from the well and Jesus being uh, who he was, he, he starts engaging her about living water. And he starts talking to her about this living water. And in hindsight, we know he's talking about himself, this, this river of life. And he says, if you drink of the living water, you'll never thirst again. And she goes, I'm sick of bringing these buckets out here every day at noon by myself. So give me some of this living water so I won't have to do this anymore. Have you ever felt like that a little bit with Jesus when Jesus was like, hey, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna pour into you and you're like, but I don't need you to pour into me. I'm hungry. Like I need a sandwich, Jesus, right? <laughs> and I'm sure she was like, I, I don't need living water. I need water, water. I just need a drink, man. And if the drink's gonna help me, she was confused. She had no idea what he was talking about. And I can imagine Jesus going, no, no. See, the living water is, <sighs> never mind. Let me, let me try this a different way. And he says, hey, do this for me. Would you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You, you've been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. And this is the thing I love about Jesus. When I used to read this when I was a little younger, I used to feel like this was Jesus's gotcha moment. Like, um, have, you ever seen, have you ever seen To Catch a Predator on Dateline NBC? Don't you love that moment when Chris, Chris uh, what's his name, Chris? Chris Matthews, is that his name? And he walks out and he goes, excuse me, sir, why are you here? And the guy's like, uh, uh. And he's like, I'm Chris Matthews from To Catch a Predator. And he's like, oh no, you know, like I'm busted. And I love that moment. It's like, gotcha, buddy, you're busted. You're going to jail, right? And I used to think this was Jesus's heart for us sometimes. And he was like, I gotcha. And I used to feel like this was this moment where he goes, I gotcha, five husbands, you've been divorced five times and you're shacked up with a guy now, I can't believe you. But now think about Jesus and your interactions, your experiences with Jesus. Think about the Jesus you've seen in scripture. Does this, does this align with the Jesus that you know? Not for me, because the Jesus I know would never approach this woman that way. And so, when you reframe this story a little bit, you realize that, that Jesus was someone who, he always spoke truth, but he always spoke truth in love. He would confront sin. He never shied away from confronting sin, but he always did it in such a way that it drew people to repentance. And so Jesus confronts her sin. And she responds in such a way that it's clear she didn't feel condemned. And it's funny because she says, after he says, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband indicating she's living in sin, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Wow, that is some discernment, lady, right? <laughs> he just read your mail, and she's like, hmm, maybe, maybe you're a prophet, indeed, right? He is. Um, and it's interesting because even in this moment, Jesus is crossing this spiritual divide as well. So, He's, he's bridging these gaps, all these reasons that Jesus should not have interaction with this woman. He is breaking them down and he's crossing that bridge and saying none of this stuff matters. 
because there's a higher purpose. And it's interesting, in John chapter four, verse 20, immediately when she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet, this is what she says. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship with what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's talking about from himself. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this is so interesting to me because, because Jesus, uh, Jesus was addressing worship, okay? And, and we think that, that, that conflict over worship is a new thing in churches, we go, well, we like to sing hymns. Well, we don't sing hymns. We only sing out of the book. Well, we only sing off the wall. We like pipe organs. We like guitars, right? Do you know when, when organs were introduced as tools of worship in churches? It was controversial. It split churches when organs were introduced, right? Amazing Grace, when it was introduced to the church, it was edgy, Right? But it didn't start there. It goes all the way back here. What Jesus is saying is, this woman says, hey, um, we've got different styles of worship. Our locations for worship are different. We're supposed to worship here. You said we worship there. And Jesus goes, it doesn't matter. Because he says at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is the posture of your heart in worship. It doesn't matter where you position yourself geographically. What matters is, what is the condition of your heart? What is the posture of your heart? See, I grew up in a way, in a tradition that said, if you loved Jesus, you would hold your hands real high during worship. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So if you love Jesus a little, you raise your hand a little. But if you love Jesus a lot, right? It's like field goal good, you know? Like that's, that's the posture. So that's kind of the way I grew up. So sometimes you'll see me on the front row, and if I, if I get excited, you know, I'll do one hand. If I get really excited, maybe two. And then if you see me moving, and I hate the camera shot from camera one over here because you see me dancing sometimes. I'm over here, and I dance like a white person. I got no soul, no rhythm. <laughs> Pastor Ricky's trying to help me, but I got nothing. <laughs> but I grew up in a way that I thought, man, if people don't have their hands raised, they must not be worshiping. And I've got my hands raised, so I must be worshiping more than they are and better than they are. My worship is more pleasing to God because I got both hands and I'm moving, right? <laughs> and what Jesus does here is debunks, debunks all that. He says, you know what? It doesn't matter what location you're in. It doesn't matter your style of worship. What matters is the posture of your heart in worship. Because I've known lots of people that knew how to raise their hands in worship, but they also knew how to gossip about their neighbor when they walked out in the lobby. Just because we go through the motions doesn't mean our heart is right. And so what Jesus is trying to, to help this woman understand, and in, in many ways this is a scandalous idea, that, that, that we say, hey, that location of worship that you think is holy is not holy. What's holy is you, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I told people before, this building, if we ever stopped occupying this building for church, they turn it into a 
a funeral home or something else, they would turn it into another kind of building and it would not be holy. What makes it holy is God's people gathered together in it. And, and that is a revolutionary, scandalous idea for a lot of people. And so Jesus is trying to help her understand, no, 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 shift your thinking. Change, change your ideas and, and the way you approach worship. <laughs> He's trying to help her understand. But again, she's all sidetracked. She doesn't really get what he's talking about. And then after verse 24, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know the Christ is coming. And finally he just goes, he is here, right? I'm making it as plain as I can. I am the one you're looking for. In verse 27, listen to this. I'm reading this from the message version. It says, just then his disciples came back. So his disciples had gone to town to get food. His disciples are coming back. And it says they were shocked they couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. I love this. I love this because Jesus didn't care. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I want to reiterate this today. Jesus loved people as if his reputation had already been ruined. He didn't care. So when the disciples showed up, they were shocked because they still had this hierarchy of who should talk to who and, and who had the right to talk to who. And they see this woman, the Samaritan woman who was there at the middle of the day. And let me just be honest with you. Uh, she was there at the middle of the day because the other ladies didn't want to hang out with her because they knew what kind of woman she was. So she was isolated. She was lonely. She was a woman who lived a scandalous life. And the fact that Jesus, a rabbi, would be talking to a woman who was a Samaritan who lived a scandalous life was shocking for the disciples. And they were too polite to tell Jesus he shouldn't be doing this, but their faces told the story. But Jesus didn't care. God help us if we're ever more concerned about what people think about us than we are about doing what God has called us to do. Because <laughs> Jesus didn't care. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what his purpose was. And he was going to fulfill that purpose. In John chapter 4, verse 28, it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So she goes into town and she goes, I met this guy and he told me everything I ever did. Now, think about this for a second. If she had been crushed by Jesus, if he had told her what kind of terrible sinner she was and described the hell that was waiting on her, do you think she would be excited to go back into town and tell everybody about it? No. Does this mean, we, mean as, as Christians we diminish or we minimize sin or we minimize uh, eternal consequence? Absolutely not. But what we do is we do exactly like Jesus did. He spoke truth in love. See, you can tell somebody about hell, and that's just truth. But there's no love accompanying it. So there's no life change, there's no transformation. But Jesus said, hey, hey, I see how you're living and this is where you're headed, but let me tell you, there's a better way for you than that. So she goes into town and tells these people and she starts bringing them out of town and back to Jesus, back to this well. And so while Jesus is talking to his disciples, it says in verse 31, his disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And I love to think that I'm smarter than the disciples because these guys were just doofuses sometimes, but I can be a doofus. <laughs> it says, so the disciples said to one another, 
Has anyone brought him something to eat? Did you bring him something? I didn't bring Did you bring him something? I didn't bring him something. So they're confused. And Jesus said to them, it's one of these face palm moments. Jesus goes, ah. let me break this down for you. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. He goes on to say, do not say, there is yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. And this is what Jesus said. He said, guys, Physical nourishment is important. I need to eat. I need to. But do you know what I need more than that? I need to do the will of the one who sent me. The thing that's more important than me eating a meal is is me doing what God has called me to do. The, The purpose and plan God has for me has to be fulfilled. And if I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life, then I can guarantee you I will be fulfilled. I will be satisfied. And they had no clue what he was talking about. And then he talks about the harvest. It's like he takes this right turn and starts talking about the harvest. And if you, maybe you're around farmers. Uh, I was part of a church for several years that it was farming community, agrarian, lots of farmers in our church. And they understood this idea that when the harvest comes in, you work really hard. Okay? It's sun up to sundown, long hours. And what Jesus is basically saying is, hey, there's a harvest coming that we're going to have to work for. And then as, and then picture this, he's talking to his disciples, and as these people are coming from town, remember who these people were, Samaritans who hated Jews. And the Jews that were here probably hated Samaritans. And these Samaritans are coming toward him, and Jesus finishes this idea and says, lift up your eyes and see the harvest. And what he's saying is, these people that you have a problem with, these people that you're uncomfortable with, these people that that maybe you don't want to engage with are the reason that we were sent here. This is the harvest. See, we get excited about harvests when they look like doctors and lawyers and they look like us and they dress like us and they think like us. But when they look different, when they act different, when they have different ideals, then we get a little nervous about the harvest. Then we're not sure about reaping a harvest. Then we go, well, maybe. And Jesus said, I hope you're ready for this because these Samaritans are why we were sent. Jesus could have a conversation with a Samaritan woman and he didn't care about what anyone else thought because he was laser focused, single-minded on this one thing. There is a harvest that needs to be reaped and God has sent me for this purpose. I'm telling you today, if we're going to be a scandalous church, we have to be laser focused on God's purpose and God's calling for us. We have to say we're so focused on what God is calling us to do that we don't care if we're criticized. We don't care if people don't like us. We don't care if if people think what we're doing is wrong or doesn't meet the right standards or, or getting things out of order. We don't care because we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. Now, we can talk about us corporately as a church, but... But the church is not this building. The church is you and me. So when we talk about the church not caring about what the world says and doing what God has called us to do, I'm talking about you and me. I'm not talking about me and our staff. Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for the harvest. If the fields are white for the harvest, it's not time for harvest. It's already past time for harvest. If, if you don't get the harvest soon, you're going to lose the harvest. 
And what Jesus said is it's already past time to reap the harvest. We got to get to work right now because if we don't work quickly, we will lose the harvest. And God has sent us to Indiana, Pennsylvania, every single one of us. Maybe you were born here, maybe you were raised here. And one of the primary reasons God has sent us here, I truly believe this, is Indiana University of Pennsylvania. God has sent thousands of students there from all over the country and all over the world, and we have an incredible opportunity to engage with people who we could never go to their country and tell them about the gospel, but they have come here, and we can engage them in conversation. We can share the gospel with them by sharing our lives with them, and they can become missionaries to go back to their country that I can't go to and you can't go to. Is it fun? Mm, I don't know about that. Is it comfortable? Probably not. But do we care if we're focused on God's calling and purpose for our lives? No, not at all. So if we want to be a scandalous church, there's some things we have to think through. The first thing is who we love and reach. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through 13 says this, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. Again, we're drawing this, uh, we're, we're lifting this line that divides races. He said, there's no more Jew and Greek in Christ, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches, uh, riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I first came to Summit Church, my first about 90 days here, when Kim got here, and we, we arrived, and we didn't come separately. I got here, and then, no, we came together, and we started pastoring this church. The first 90 days were not easy, and there was a lot of criticism, and some of it was just because of change. It wasn't personal or anything like that, um, but we lost people. Um, I, I've, told, I've told pastors this before. People see how much we've grown, and they go, wow, that's remarkable, and it is, and I'm grateful for that, but my, my first weekend at Summit Church um, the church had been averaging about 500 to 550 on a weekend. And my first weekend here in January of 2014, I preached and that weekend we had 647 people. And I thought, God, I got this, right? Man, we already grew 100 people? Yes, they were just waiting for me to show up, right? Oh, I just float in. I have arrived. No. Week two. So you, I'm, I'm thinking here, we've already grown over 100 people week one. Week two. Week two, 414. <laughs> I successfully shrank our church in one week. Now, I didn't take that personally. That was just life. Not everybody liked what we were doing. I get it. But it was a little discouraging at first. And I said, God, Help us to do what you're calling us to do. Who do you want us to reach? And I really felt like God spoke to me and said, if you'll love the people no one wants, I'll send the people everyone wants. And so we just said, you know what? God, you send us people and we're gonna love on them. Amen. And we don't do it perfectly. There are times people fall through the cracks and I hate that and that's why I tell you go to growth track and get connected with a small group, find a group to serve with and dream team, all those kind of things. But we don't do it perfectly perfectly. But man, we just chose to love people in spite of what they looked like, in spite of what their background was. We, we wanted them to feel welcome here. And God is blessed because we just said we're going to love people really well, even if we're uncomfortable doing it. See, one of the things I love about Jesus is he would rather help people in need than impress people in power. 
And so for us, we just decided as a church, corporately and as a church individually, we're gonna love people really well, no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, no matter how they're accepted by society, no matter what their parole officer says about them. You think I'm joking? <laughs> Galatians 1.10 says this, Paul's talking to the Galatian church, and he says, for I'm now seeking approval from man or God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the, the perfect servant of God. He says, I can only please one. So I can either make people happy or I can make God happy. And as a person, as an individual, but corporately as a church, we have to make a decision. Are we going to make people happy or are we going to make God happy? Because those two sometimes are mutually exclusive. We can't always make people and God happy. So if we've got to choose, what's the choice going to be? See, I love Jesus and his attitude toward people because we see several times in the New Testament and in the Gospels that he is described as a friend to tax collectors and sinners. He loved and was friends with the worst of the worst, the people with the worst reputations, the people that were lowest in society. Jesus loved them. The people that were marginalized, he took care of them. He loved children, and children had very low places in society in that day and age. He loved those that were marginalized. He loved those that were forgotten about. And as a church, we make a choice to love those that are forgotten about and love those who are marginalized. So I think we're a scandalous church because of who we love and reach. I think we're a scandalous church because how we love and reach. One of our core values is creative evangelism. And what we say with that is that in order to reach people no one else is reaching, we have to do things that no one else is doing. And again, this doesn't just apply to us corporately as a church, this applies to you as well. So you've got a neighbor that no one else is reaching, that you've invited to church, that you've tried to think, well, he just can't, he won't come to church. Guess what? Maybe you gotta try something you've never tried before. You got that coworker that seems like they hate you and hate God. Maybe you need to try something you've never tried before to get a result you've never gotten before. And this is what we do as a church. Um, we do this constantly. There are things we do um, that, that are prominent that you see, and then there's things we do that are behind the scenes. So I'm gonna pull the veil back a little, if that's okay. Because I, want to, I want you to see some of our thinking as leadership so you understand us a little better. Um, like I said earlier, we welcome people of all backgrounds. We welcome people of all ethnicities. We welcome people of all socioeconomic groups. And that makes it challenging at times because when you've got people that are very diverse in age, in, in values, all those kind of things, what happens is there's, there's conflict at times. So it would be easier if all of us looked the same and acted the same and thought the same. There would be less issues. It would be cleaner. It would be less messy. Does anybody understand that? So we've chosen the opposite route. So we know it's going to be messy at times, but what we do is intentional because we say things like, um, hey, if we want lost people and we want people who are outside the church to feel comfortable in our church, th then we're going to shift how we talk about things. So you've heard me talk about this before, but in this room, this is not our sanctuary. This is our auditorium because if you have never been to church, you might not know what a sanctuary is, but if you've been to school, you probably know what an auditorium is. The thing out there with the chairs and we call it our lobby. We do not call it our vestibule or our foyer or foyer, depending on where you're from. Or we definitely don't call it a narthex. 
because I thought a narthex was an animal from Harry Potter. <laughs> right? No clue. We call it a lobby. That's what it is. Because we don't want there to be insider and outsider language. We don't want people to come in the church and feel like they don't know what's going on because we have our own code words. And so even, listen to this, even when we're talking from stage, I talk to our communicators and our team that's preaching. Um, <clears throat> what we don't want to do <clears throat> is say things like this. Um, so, you know, King David, well, you guys know King David, right? Everybody knows King David. So David did da, 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 da. Because what happens is, if you've come to church that day and you don't know King David, I've just drawn a line between us and them, right? Because now you go, well, I don't know King David, I guess I'm an outsider. And so typically what we'll do is we'll say, hey, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to God, maybe you're just checking things out, but there's a story about this guy named David, and he was king, and maybe you heard the story about how he killed Goliath, but King David, da 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 da, -da. then we'll tell the story. And it's a subtle shift, but what it does is it helps break down the divide between us and them. But it's something conscientious we do as well because we want people to walk in and feel welcome because if they walk in and don't feel welcome, do you think they're interested in Jesus? Probably not. That's why our greeters matter. That's why our ushers matter. That's why kids' check-in matters because people decide if they like a church before they ever get in the auditorium. They're deciding already and they're making those decisions and it makes it harder and harder to receive the gospel whenever that stuff happens. That's why we do at the movies. <laughs> Some of you, how many of you came to our church because of at the movies? Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay. Wow, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, up there. There's a number of families in our church that have. They said, hey, I started to come during at the movies. I guess they all go to the 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> Well, we love at the movies. When we first did at the movies, there was a lot of people uncomfortable with it. And what it is basically is it's a way to tell the gospel story with the medium of movies. And we're not telling stories about the movies, we're telling stories about Jesus Christ. Um, so when I first came to the summit um, and we did at the movies, I was talking to uh, someone from another church in our town and uh, we were in the middle of this series, and this person said to me, how is your little movie series going? Yeah, you have the same reaction I did, right? Because if you put the word little with anything, it just makes it condescending, and you know, right? How's, how's your little job going, <laughs> buddy? And I wanted to say, hey, how's your little black eye? What little black eye? That one, right? <laughs> Hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs> and so I heard this and I was like, you know what? They just don't understand our perspective. They don't understand our motivation. They don't understand why we're doing it. So I'm not gonna be upset with them. I'm not gonna be mad at them. We're just gonna do what God's called us to do. We see people saved during at the movies. We see people come to church that would never come to church otherwise. They would not come to church to hear me preach, but they're gonna come to see a bunch of movie clips and eat popcorn in our lobby. Great. We do first responders outreaches. We minister to IUP. We do all these things. And I'm not saying we're better because we do it, but we understand clearly what God has called us to do. And so we don't care what other people think about our methodology. We're gonna do what God's called us to do because there's a harvest to reach. There's a harvest to reap and the fields are white. It is almost too late. So we're not wasting time trying to build consensus with critics in our community. You know, at Easter, we, we're very systematic about Easter. So the week before Easter, we do our Easter outreach. And I 
We, don't get it, we didn't get really any phone calls this year, but we get phone calls from people in our community, not in our church, sometimes, and we'll get phone calls like, um, or, or Facebook messages, and they'll say things like, um, are you guys even a church? Because the word Easter isn't on your sign for the egg hunt. It's like, well, the there just wasn't room for all the words on the sign, right? Like, we're not trying to minimize Easter. And do you guys even love Jesus because the Easter bunny didn't die on the cross for our sins? That is correct. I've, I've never read that in Scripture. Um, what do eggs have to do with Jesus? They have nothing to do with Jesus. But what we do is we engage our culture where our culture is at. Because if we go to our culture and say, hey, everybody, Jesus loves you and you're all sinners going to hell. But he came to earth to die for you so that you could live with him for eternity in heaven. They're going to go, I'm good. We're fine. But what we do is we engage them where they're at. We go, hey, we got some free stuff for your kids. And everybody likes free stuff for their kids, right? hey, you're going to get a bunch of candy and you can eat it tonight while they're asleep. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so we engage them where they're at. We don't preach to them. There's no strings attached. They show up. They have a great time. They see us treating each other well. They're treated well. And then there's something there that they go, you know what? I like these people. Maybe they're about something more than just going to church. So we engage our community where they're at and they come back to church. It's amazing. So the week after Easter, on Easter Sunday and Easter weekend, we have a whole bunch of church services and we, um, we just have church. We don't do bells and whistles. We don't do laser lights because why would I do bells and whistles on Easter? Everybody's coming to church on Easter anyway. So we just have church. We just have worship. We preach the gospel and we'll see people saved. That's what we do on Easter. So we're, we're systematic with that. The week after Easter, we have bells and whistles. We'll bring in a guest speaker, Frank Wright, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Michael Francis. We'll bring them in. Many churches in our area and in our country, um, the week after Easter is their worst attendance weekend of the year. For us, we had 87% of our Easter attendance back for the week after Easter. And we do that in, on purpose. We do it systematically because what we want to see is we want to see people saved. And we know people aren't going to get saved if nobody comes to church. So we want people to come to church so they can experience God. So that's the week after Easter. Then two weeks after Easter, we have baptism celebration. And so we tell people, if you're going to be baptized, invite your family. If you've got family members who don't go to church, invite them. Because we're going to tell them about Jesus. They're getting saved. So for the three weeks, Easter, the weekend after, and baptism celebration, we had 75 people say yes to Jesus in those three weeks. There's a reason we do what we do. It's because we're laser focused on what God has called us to. See, we love people in our community. We love churches in our community. Gosh, I wish I had more time to tell you about Back 40. Back 40 is our rural pastors network. I love what we're doing with Back 40. I got a call from a pastor. He pastored a church in Dayton, and he called me after Easter, and he said, Pastor Mel, we had more people at Easter, and we had more salvations at Easter than we've ever had in our church, and we owe it to Back 40. Thank you for investing in us. It is not just about us. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about reaping the harvest. It's about seeing God move in amazing ways in our community. So the third thing, real quickly, why we love and reach. In John chapter 4, at the end of this story, these people had come out to Jesus, 
and they had heard his story. And it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. So again, this man that they were uncomfortable with, this man who's Jewish, right? They said, why don't you stick around because there's something different about you. And many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. See, what's gonna happen is you're gonna take the light and life of Christ with you. And you're going to go to your workplace and you're going to interact with somebody and they're going to see something in you and they're going to be drawn to it. And maybe they come to church with you, maybe they don't. But at some point, you're going to have an opportunity to show them who God really is. And at some point, there's going to be a shift from them going, I see God in you to saying, I've experienced this Jesus and he really is the savior of the world. And that's why we do what we do. It's to get people connected with a living Jesus who loves them and cares about them. And because we're laser focused on that, not just as a church, but as individuals, because we're laser focused on seeing people saved and growing in their faith, we say, we really don't care what the world says. <laughs> I don't wanna get fired from my job, but I don't care what my boss says. I don't care what the pressure in my workplace is. I'm gonna live a godly lifestyle and I'm gonna show the light of Christ because I'm laser focused on what's really important. See, that's what God wants for us because he wants to see people change and transform for the glory of God. He wants to see the harvest brought in because it's white. The question is, are you gonna be a part of the harvest or are you gonna be a harvester? He wants you to be a worker in the fields with us. Maybe you're here and you've never experienced the life and light of Christ. I'm telling you, today's your day. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you've just kind of been playing it safe, kicked back, doing your thing. That's been fine. But that time is over because the fields are white. We're, we're almost gonna lose the harvest if we don't get to work. And this is my challenge for you today. Get to work in the harvest. Get connected, get plugged in. Let God use you for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you today and we're so grateful for what you're doing in this place. Thank you that we get to be a part of seeing a harvest here in Indiana and around the world. I pray today, Lord, we would understand this is not about us, but this is about you and your kingdom. God, I pray for those that are here today that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you, they've never surrendered their lives to you. Lord, let today be the day for them. Lord, I pray for those that are here that, that they're just kind of going through the motions. They're Christians but they're not engaged in the harvest. God, I pray that today would be the day something would shift in their hearts, that they would understand their purpose and their calling to see the harvest come in, and to see people one for you. And I pray that they would engage in that work and they would bring glory to you because of that. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around, I wanna ask, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not serving Jesus, but I know I need to be. I'm not walking with the Lord. I've never made him Lord of my life. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're like this Samaritan woman. She knew about worship. She knew the rules and regulations, but she didn't know the living Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you, you want to meet the living Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough with nobody looking around just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. 
If you're here and you say, Mel, pray for me. I see you back there. Thank you, ma'am. I see you up in the balcony. Thanks, sir. Praise God. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? I want to I make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to know the life and light that you're talking about. I want to experience that. Yeah, thanks. I see you up there. Praise God. Now, with nobody looking around, with everybody's head bowed, I want us to pray this prayer together. Whether you raised your hand or not, say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving your life and paying the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use it for your glory. Expand your kingdom through my life and help me live my life for you. I never want to go back to my old ways and my old life. But from, day, or from today forward, I am yours, and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. I would love for you to fill that card out. All this does is it helps us connect you with um, some resources and relationships that are going to help you grow in your faith. Um, we don't want you just to experience new life and that's it. There's more for you than that. So we want to connect you in those opportunities. Uh, so fill that card out and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. There's two in the back of the room there, one in the balcony and one just outside these east doors. Uh, if you're watching online, you'd like to respond. All you have to do is text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to help you take the next step and, uh, and grow in your faith. And if you're here in the Indiana area, we'll get you connected here at Summit Church. If you're somewhere else throughout the United States or even the world, we're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can grow in your faith in. So again, let us know where you're at and let us know about your decision. We'll help you grow in your faith today. And this is what's going to happen right now. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship God together. And while we're singing, our prayer team is going to make their way forward. And they'll be on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all today, before you leave, stop by and let our, worship, our prayer team pray with you. Um, and then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Pastor Steve Rhodes, our executive pastor, is going to come. And he'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. And guys, I tell you often, I hope you know this. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day.